Thank you for tuning in to the Critical Conversations podcast, brought to you by Mind the Frontline. Established in 2023 as a 501c3, Mind the Frontline is your ally in the journey to support those who selflessly safeguard our communities. Their core mission revolves around pioneering innovation and research, education, and overall well-being specifically tailored to healthcare, military, and public service frontline first responders. The Critical Conversation podcast is a dedicated space for police, fire, EMS, allied health workers, dispatchers, air medical, and military personnel, along with their families. Here, we dive into the heart of the matter, tackling essential topics such as mental health strategies, recovery methods, treatment options, the latest research, and professional development opportunities. Before we dive into today's episode on Critical Conversations, we do want to, however, acknowledge the nature of our discussions. Some of the content discussed may be triggering or intense as we explore the challenges and the triumphs within the first responder community. We recognize that these discussions may evoke strong emotions or memories. If you or someone you know is struggling and needs immediate support, we urge you to reach out to your agency's mental health resources or your local peer support group. In time of mental health crisis, you can always contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by phone or via text at 988 Please remember you are never alone and help is always available. At Mind the Frontline, we are more than just a podcast. We are a community committed to fostering resilience within the entire first responder family. So whether you're on the front lines or supporting those who are, we invite you to subscribe, engage, and be a part of this vital mission. To learn more, please visit us at www.mindthefrontline.org. Now let's dive into today's critical conversation. Heroes and Advocates, Chris Batana here, your host and fellow Frontline Warrior, welcoming you back for another powerful episode of Critical Conversations by Mind the Frontline. Today, we are engaging in the mental health of first responders, and trust me, you do not want to miss out on this moment or this episode with our special guest. As a former firefighter and a flight paramedic and now president of Mind the Frontline, this podcast isn't just a show, it is a rally point for the first responder community. And guess what? We have an extraordinary guest joining us today. Brace yourselves for an insightful conversation on mindful pouring and engaging the mental health of first responders who may be needing an assistance out there with the one and only Dr. John Von Ron Von Rosenberg. Our guest today is also effectively known as Von Ron by his friends and myself. I've known him and he's been in fire and EMS and critical care and flight medicine for over 20 years and the last seven working on his dissertation. His primary job is working as a flight paramedic and currently he works with a hospital-based critical care service in Northern Carolina and Virginia. In addition to his role as a bedside clinician, Von Ron is an active instructor. And in addition to his uh, college with Impact EMS, he also has a bachelor's degree in education, a master's degree in biology, and a PhD in cognition and applied neurophysiology. That, that's a lot, which is great because sure. we're going to break this down, right? <laughs> it, but his last seven years, he has spent on his doctoral dissertation. I've watched this guy go through the struggles and, and the resiliency he has provided. He just 
just recently uh, had surpassed that. And I, I couldn't be more proud of this gentleman. And, and I have so much admiration for him. Bonron has uh, spoken at multiple local state and uh, national and international conferences, including AMTC, CCTMC, ECHO, and ICON. He's published articles in the Air Medical Journal and edited various textbooks for EMS and critical care. He did begin his career as a patient care uh, as a volunteer firefighter, and then he transitioned to ocean rescue, which we'll hopefully talk about a little bit because I think it's super interesting. And the EMS before beginning his work at hospital-based critical care service, and then a flight paramedic. So once again, his background in both education and clinical practice provides a unique combination. And you know, it helps in revealing and communicating insights into developing research and practice. And well. Without further ado, let's let's introduce this guy, one of my favorite guys, uh, with so much admiration, John. And you know, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thank you. I'm super pumped to be here. Thank you for having me on. No, man, absolutely. It's uh, you know, I've always kind of looked up with you uh, to you, and you know, I, I remember the first time you know you took a leap of faith and applied to IAMED as an instructor, and we interviewed you, and then later getting to meet you in Seattle with a rental yep. car that we, we drove around and got lost in, but we, and we had <laughs> such, we had such a good time. And then that led to Lafayette where we decided to go yep. drive through some floods that were going on at the time. Yep. while we were. It's been a blast. It's been a blast. I, I have loved watching all the things that you have done. And this new thing with mine, the front line is absolutely incredible and you are crushing it. And I am so pumped to, to be a, a little part of that. So congratulations to you and to all the wonderful things you were doing. Man, well, thank you, man. It it, uh, it takes a community, as you know, and uh, you know, I really appreciate your time and energy, and and definitely bringing what you have because you know, ever since I saw your first talk, and I believe it was at AMTC, uh, you know, I, I was just blown away at just the depth of knowledge and how you were able to relate that and translate it just to the layperson's terms. Because I saw everyone there in that room just riveted and just locked on while you were talking. <laughs> and and so I'm really excited, especially, you know, after doing that big introduction and kind of pumping you up, you know, I want the viewers <laughs> and listeners to really, you know, when we talk about stress and try to break it down, you know, you mentioned it up above, but you know, and this is what your doctor said, you know, you're really yeah. understanding the neuroscience behind what we is that we do some of our triggers yeah. and challenges. And I'm really excited about this topic and really kind of breaking down stress. So, you know, yeah. break it down. How yeah. does it really yeah. affect us? Yeah. It, um, so, so this idea started, like you mentioned, work in fire, work in ocean rescue, work in EMS, work in critical care, work in flight. Um, like anybody who is part of that world, which I imagine is a lot of the people that that listen and interact with your uh, your format right now, like they'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. So you go out, you're on a call, you're on a run, you're talking to people, you have somebody in front of you, and your partner who you know. Uh, they're an intelligent, they're educated, they're motivated. Um, they are in the middle of a situation and they just freeze up and they just stop working. Uh, and you're like, buddy, like we've, we've done this before, like you and me, like we're shoulder to shoulder and we've been in situations before, like what's going on right now. Um, and so that's what pushed me into this PhD process and the specific focus of stress in first responders, like what's going on and why do we seem to function just fine sometimes? And then at other times we seem to not be able to function at all. 
Yeah, and yeah, it is no, the most I, I get thing. It. Yeah, and so I've been there. It, it, it <laughs> right. happens. It happens. You know, like I, I remember certain calls like "Don't bother me at all." You know, you, and you're and you're surprised actually. You know, especially right. as you kind of get old, you know older or further along in your career. But then there's other times where it, it could be just a simple call, right. almost a BLS level call, and and that'll be all it takes to just you know almost crush me. You know, yeah. to a point where I yeah. feel like I can't breathe. Yeah. So there are these triggers that seem to make us like, like our brain is receiving this input and um, then it interprets it in a specific way. And so the first thing to sort of unpack is that um, there are a million stressors out there in the world and some of them we can actually use to increase our performance uh, and some of them seem to um, overwhelm us. And that is based on our appraisal of that stimulation. So if you're in a situation, uh, and then you have a stimulation coming in and you experience it from touch and sight and smell, uh, like I'm sure that we can all remember things that maybe we wouldn't want to remember. Uh, you drive by someplace and you smell something or you hear something yeah. or it's a song or like there's all these different stimuli. Uh, and our brain accepts that stimulus and then appraises it. And there are two questions, two questions that we have to answer whenever okay. we encounter a stimulus. And the first one is, is it worth it? Is it going to hurt me? Like, is it worth it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is it worth it? Is it worth it? Uh, and the second one is, do I have the resources that I need to engage in this process, whatever it is. Um, and that's called cognitive appraisal. Uh, a guy named, uh, Lazarus, um, uh, came up with this that's cognitive cool appraisal name. theory. Yeah. Great name. Great name. Uh, and so the first thing is, is it worth it? So, uh, you encounter something and it's, it's a challenge and your brain is trying to decide, is this a challenge that I can overcome or is this something that um, I cannot overcome and I need to bail or I need to run away or, or something else. If it's a challenge, then the next step is, do I have the resources that I need? And this might be mental resources. This might be training. This might be education. This might mean like, uh, people supporting you. Um, this might be, um, like a million different things, but first, is it worth it? And then two, or second. Can I execute it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I do this? And then that determines the rest of our response. Um, and so that first cognitive appraisal is like, Hey, there's something going on. So in the world of medicine, you know, there's a call, uh, people use pediatric patients a lot for these examples. You know, there's a sick kid. Um, like you, you're, you're, you're the one that's called on to act. And so, um, it has to be worth it. And then do you have the resources that you need in order to accomplish this goal. So have you been trained? Have you studied? Have you prepared? Are you mentally prepared? Are you physically prepared? Are you emotionally prepared? All of that becomes a part of like how we decide on how we're going to act and react in any given situation. And it's impossible to prepare for every single thing. So I'm trying to go through my head right now and going like, okay, I, I yeah. remember like my first call on like an OB, you know, that was, right. you know, that was going south. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I feel like I can do it? No, because yeah. <laughs> I'm never ready for something like that. <laughs> right. Like, 
we we have all encountered things that we have never dreamed of or would never have dreamed of before and then we find ourselves in the middle of this crazy story um and you have to decide like is this when i'm going to act um and when you find yourself kind of freezing up and having that like overly sympathetic response like nervous sympathetic not um like I am being sympathetic to someone, but like my sympathetic nervous system is overreacting. Um, yeah. Like how can we kind of reel that in and focus it? Uh, and that's, that's like the first step. Sometimes I have trouble with that first step because that stimulus yeah. comes in and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So the, um, uh, an interesting, so let's like, if we tone it down a little bit, um, think about like an interview. So um, you and I have talked to a lot of people who want like a particular job. Maybe they want to get into flight, for example. Um, okay. And uh, and they, they find a place that they would like to work. They seem to vibe with the people there. Uh, they like the culture there. And um, there's an opening and they put in their application. And then um, they call you up because you're the man, like you're the guy. And they say, like, I'm really... I'm really nervous. I'm really anxious. Yeah. I'm really stressed. Um, and in that context, there are a couple of important points. And one of them is like one stress is good. Stress is okay. Um, and it stress, is, right? yeah. And it's important for us to recognize that stress is not inherently bad. And if someone says, Hey, I'm anxious about this, whatever it is, whether it's an interview or, or anything else, um, that emotion is completely okay to feel like we all feel emotions different ways and that's not wrong it's not bad um and in the context of the conversation of stress and anxiety um that actually indicates some level of personal investment you know it it means that you care so somebody says oh i'm anxious about this then our response to that person who's sharing this um, emotion with us is that's great. <laughs> like, I know it might not feel great because anxiety doesn't feel good. Um, but we'll get into reframing a little bit, like mental reframing a little bit later. But the first thing is like this sensation that you have of anxiety, of stress, you have because you care. Um, and that's really powerful and that's really positive. And so, um, like I think about, uh, like humor's great. Uh, uh, and there are a lot of really funny things out there that, um, are funny for a lot of different reasons. Um, there's this meme of the dog sitting in the room that's on fire. Right. Okay. And the, the, um, text of it is like, this is fine. Um, and it's funny, like we can all laugh at that because it's obviously not not fine, right? The, yeah. the room is on fire. This is not fine. Um, and no that's a funny, <laughs> it's a funny meme, but psychologically, it's like a deflection. Um, and so what we can do instead of saying, like acting like everything is fine when everything is definitely not fine is say like, hey, what's the reality? Like you can't trick yourself, but so much. And so saying to yourself, this is fine when it is not fine, uh, is, is a step in the wrong direction. So the better thing to do then is say like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm kind of messed up right now, or, uh, I'm, I'm feeling stressed right now, or I'm feeling overwhelmed right now, or like I need a second or, you know, insert whatever 
Um, I did that this week. I, I had to tell my wife, like, hey, uh, I'm I'm overwhelmed, right? I'm yeah. feeling a lot of stress. Yeah. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Uh, I, you know, and I try to communicate that instead of going, hey, everything's okay. I'm gonna, you right. know, I'm like a, you know, like a duck, you know, but every, right. everything <laughs> underwater is chaos, but everything on top yeah. is like, yeah, dude, I'm great. But no, I had to yeah. communicate that because I had to let her know, like, hey, I'm I'm really overwhelmed this week. I got a lot going on, you know, and I. I haven't been able to do that for a long time. I, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's getting those tools and being aware of it. Yeah, historically that's been frowned upon, right? Like we're told yeah. a million other things. We're told to bottle it up. We're told to push through. We're told to to do all these other things. And and there may be times when you have to do that. Um, so if you're in the middle of a call and it's going south, and action is what is needed, then action is still what is needed. Um, and so this becomes a pattern that you practice over time so that you can cope with them in, in a variety of situations. The, like you said, this becomes a really solid tool, like a really powerful, positive tool that we can use when, when we communicate and say, hey, look, I don't feel good. Like, uh, this is, I, I don't like what's going on and I have a lot of emotions that I'm having trouble with right now and I just need, I just need a little time out. I need a little break. And the fact that we're even talking about that now is awesome. Um, yeah, because if I would have said that to my senior firefighter the first time I got on a truck as a pro league, oh man, I yes. thought hell. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way this Water world Water cup, powder puff, go back in your room, you know? I mean, I'm serious, but you're yeah. right. The fact that we can actually have this conversation candidly now and openly, right. and, and well, one, I don't care. I do to a degree, but you know, for the most part, you know, I, I, I believe in things and I just go that direction. But the fact that we can have this candid conversation now about, Hey, let other people know about your emotions and what you're feeling. And, and so that way, Hey, you're basically, at least for me, I'm checking in with them saying, Hey, you know, this is where I'm at emotionally, yeah. maybe mentally too, or physically yeah. if I'm sick. You know, we tell people when we're, we don't feel well, right? Like, hey, I, I feel sick. The, the flu's going through my whole family. You know, people automatically associate that with, got it. Okay. He's, right. you know, ill. I know what that feels like. You know, so if I tell someone like, hey, I'm under a lot of duress or I'm, I'm just stressed out, I'm overwhelmed, I, I feel just like I'm going to collapse, and I'm just honest with them they can relate to that. And most people have been in that situation to some degree, yeah. you know? And that, that's what has become really cool is you have guys like yourself who have been in the business for a long time and are setting that example of saying um, like, Hey, this, this is a better way of doing things. This, this mental health is something that we need to get a handle on. We can do this right. And we can do this well. And this is an example of what to do. And so you checking in on other people is a demonstration that here's a guy who's been doing this their whole life. This isn't a, a new person. This is somebody who has done it. He has played in the championship game and hoisted the trophy. And he's saying, this is okay. And that's a really awesome example to set for everybody else because then you're not left with a whole bunch of experienced guys who are still saying, no, bottle it up. Um, because that, that's not the answer for sure. And, and, and well, I mean, it needs to happen. I think I, I can either sit here and just continue to watch, you know, my close friends and, and some people that I've worked with and try to help in recovery continue to, um, make a sentinel decision that, that alters their life, you know, where they don't want to be here anymore. And that sucks, man. Yeah. That, that, that's a lot yeah. to take on. And, you know, it uh, takes people to 
really kind of started speaking out and I was doing another podcast earlier this week and we talked a little bit about this, you know, where it's, it's setting an example, you know, for example, yeah. you know, this program director, EMS director, um, in their initial training program, they're starting to incorporate mental health, but you know, his, his instructors, his educators are now setting that tone as a mentor, as a leader. And so when these individuals go out, you know, they start having that same kind of expectation and that's important. Yeah. You know, people yeah, need to need to talk more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People say like, uh, you know, the idea of talking to a therapist used to be very foreign and, um, and now it's, it's not. And that's very cool. Like, this this gentleman that you're talking to in Georgia sounds like he has it, it figured out. Like that sounds like a really good thing um, because you could make a strong argument that like, oh, hey, congratulations. Welcome to EMT school. Here's your therapist. We would like you to go ahead and start talking to them now. And then you yeah. just sort of keep going because you don't want to wait until it becomes overwhelming to start talking about it. Exactly. Well, and here's a cool point. Um, I've just heard about this today with, uh, uh he's going to be on one of our future shows, but we were just kind of, we met today virtually to talk about topics. Um, and he informed me he's out of Oregon. He, you know, he works with the Portland police bureau out there. They incorporate two hours every day of resiliency and, and mind oh, training wow. two hours every day in the Academy. Nobody That's else awesome. is doing this, you know, yeah. and, and everybody's looking, you know, but they're doing it because, you know, A, they're setting up the new hires to go out in the field, right? That's one way to do it. You know, you could lead from the top down, but you can also lead from the bottom up, you know, if you do right. it right. And, you know, that's what it seems like Portland Bureau of Police is doing. And they're really working on getting these recruits out there that are set up for success. They're giving them the mental tools and armor yeah. to do their job, just like they give them a Glock. You know, it's, yeah. you have to have all those resources. So like you mentioned, when you hit that, Hey, can I process? Can I deal with it? Do I have the tools? They do. And it does make change uh, because it slowly starts setting the, the culture for, yeah, we're going to, we're going to set ourselves up for success. We're going to talk about this yeah. stuff. We're going to have some resiliency when we hit the road. That's awesome. I love that. I love the, um, the imagery of that mental armor, that phrase that you said, that's always been one of my favorites. I love that. That mental armor. Sound sexy. Mental armor. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, everybody else is like, ah, yeah, it's not mental health. It's mental armor now. You mental know? armor. Like, yeah, dudes can get down with that. Yeah, I can get down with that. Yeah. So graphically, what we're thinking of is like if you have like an inverted U, right? So it's like a mountain. It's like a hill. Um, this is called the Yerkes-Dodson curve. Yerkes-Dodson. Um, yeah. And we I all was, know. I was this. reading that in the notes. I was like, what, what is this curve? Like, yeah. I've heard of all the other curves. Bell curve, more <laughs> importantly. <laughs> but, yeah, what, what is this curve that you're the Yerkes-Dodson curve? Yeah. Yeah. So this is basically saying that there is a point of stimulation at which we perform at our best. And that's the height of the curve. And on the low end is where we're bored. You know, we're not stimulated. We're not being challenged. We're not um, – you know, we're not doing something that engages us. And so we're bored. Right. Yeah. And then there comes a point when that stimulation increases, when that challenge increases. And then um, like a lot of people talk about flow states and stuff like that. And just super cool. And you are working and you are working well and everything's flowing. Uh, and that's the peak. That's the top of the curve. And then as you continue going, as that stimulation continues and challenge continues, uh, the performance starts to drop back down. Um, and so there's a point and it's different for everybody at which you are performing at your highest. And that 
necessitates some level of challenge, some level of stimulation. Um, and we all know this because if you're sitting around the station and you're bored, then you feel kind of smeggy. Like there's nothing to do and you've already finished your Sudoku for the day and you've already checked off the trucks and you've already washed the truck and like you've exhausted everything and maybe it's a slow day and there's still nothing to do and you just feel bored. And then you mm-hmm. get a call and you're stimulated and you can feel yourself engaging. Like you can feel yourself mentally engaging, physically engaging. Like you're having this sympathetic response. Adrenaline. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And you're like ready to rock and roll. And you're like, let's get after it. And then you do. And you and your boys and your girls, like whoever's on your team, you guys are getting after it. And you're like, yeah, this, this is what it's all about. Uh, and that's at that like peak of the curve. And then the trouble comes when – um, we have had maybe some sort of stressor that has accumulated over time. Um, and we end up on the other side of that curve. So we're no longer at peak performance. We have become overstressed and we're no longer coping well, whether it's like a, a situation that's overwhelming us or us not being prepared. Uh, and then we end up on the other side of it. So it's like a simple, um, a simple curve that says on one end you're bored on the other end you're super overwhelmed but somewhere in the middle there's a sweet spot where you're just crushing it you're um, rocking it yeah I, and, and i can and i can envision that man i can envision kind of like you know hey you get tapped out on a call you're rocking that call because you know everything you know you're feeling very clinically competent and sound yeah. you're working with your best yeah. partner like you're crushing it and then you get the next call and then the next call. And then eventually I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I'm, I'm not there anymore. You know, yeah. you, you fall off that curve. Yeah. Yeah. You're worn out. Um, and so then that comes up like one of the other points that's interesting to talk about is stressors that are um, specific to first responders. Um, because the, like the, the research that I did for my PhD, uh, it discusses um, specifically chronic stressors. Um, which I chose in part because there's like a gap there. And part of what you have to do with research is identify a space that hasn't been addressed. And so, so I wanted to address part of that. Um, like a lot of people, when they think of first responder stress, they think about a particular call. Um, and we can all share particular calls that have generated stress with us. And we use that as examples because everybody can feel that and, and relate. And they can like, relate yeah. to it. Yeah. 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 I know that makes exactly. Sense. What you're about. And what acute stressors seem to do like a bad call. So a bad call would be an example of an acute stressor. An acute stressor causes a sudden spike in your emotional response. Uh, and then it usually dips. So it comes back down pretty quickly. Um, and that doesn't diminish its power. It doesn't diminish its influence on us as a person. But it, in terms of timeline, it's usually pretty short. Um, and so then what we're quick left up, with is down. What's that? Quick up, quick down. Up, quick down. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. So as first responders, what we have to deal with is chronic stressors. And that is both the exposure to these calls over and over again, like you mentioned a tough call and then a tough call and then a tough call. Um, but then we also have these other chronic stressors like lack of sleep and poor sleep habits. Um, yeah, we have the, the financial woes that go with public service. Like we have all of these other chronic stressors that come in and affect our ability to manage stress that like aren't as sexy, right? Like you think about, 
They're like, oh, it's we the had holidays this. right now. Like the holidays yeah. are notorious for stress just because right. there's more stuff going on on top of what you already had with your chronic day-to-day stress of finances, yeah. marriage, what whatever it is. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so instead of starting at zero and then being exposed to something that would challenge you and you being able to maintain and navigate that well, you're starting off at 50% or 70%. Like you're already almost maxed out. And so when you're exposed to this novel stimulus, this new trauma, this new challenge, rather than having a whole lot of room to say, I know what to do. Like, I know how to, I know how to get through this. Um, you ping out that tachometer pretty quick and you don't have the same space to negotiate your emotions and your mental space and the, the physical things that you need to do to take care of someone in the context of um, like medicine. And yeah. that becomes really hard. So the, the combination of these acute stressors and these chronic stressors make everything that much more challenging because we're dealing with everything at the same time. And that's really hard. That's redlining your motor, you know, nonstop, exactly. you know, and yeah. the way, the way I relate, and I loved how you did that governor because I think our viewers and listeners can kind of envision that the way I envisioned it was, you know, we have idle, right. You know, idle yeah. is just kind of moving along. And then you got like your normal work as I'm kind of driving down the road, you know, between two or 3000 RPM kind of, okay, cool. You know, I still got plenty of room till I hit that red line, but say if we're always, you know, you're, you're going through a speed and, your gear is stuck in fourth, you know, and fourth is at 5,000 RPM and you tack out at seven. Like you don't yeah. have that much space, you know, you hit yeah. that pedal even a little bit and it's like, boom, you know? And so yeah. that's kind of the way my brain works. It's like, yeah, I feel like sometimes I'm grinding at, at five to 6,000 RPM and I only got a thousand left before I blow my motor or blow my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Hopefully and not. So then, Please don't. I mean, that's yeah, not so a good thing. <laughs> right. So there, so then we, we end up with like some strategies and I want to get into some strategies later, but, but the, like leading into that, one of the cool things is this concept of neuroplasticity, which I'm sure you've talked about before. I'm sure you've heard about, I think it is one of the coolest things. Um, uh, the, the, the simple description is that our brains change and our brains change with practice. Um, and they will also change without practice. So uh, if you allow something to happen to you, uh, then you learn this thing that's called learned helplessness. So it's not that you are out there being the biggest badass on the planet, doing things and making a positive influence. It's that the world is acting on you and you don't have any control. And that can seem really helpful. And your brain starts to change. The actual neurons in your brain start to change depending on the stimulus and your response. Exactly. Yeah, literally, they are rewired. Yeah, we touched on it a little bit yesterday when we were talking about uh, psilocybin mushrooms, ketamine therapy, and things like that. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. And even and even the holistic therapy is it's just practice. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's um, and you would know better than I. But you know, the way I interpret it is. Hey, I have this stimulus. Normally I would react like X, but instead I do Y. And by doing right. Y and repetitively doing Y, I slowly move away from naturally responding to X, which, yeah. you know, for me, 
some days it's anger. You know, I just yeah. fly off the handle and that's not cool. Yeah. So right. I, I have to take that stimulus wherever that trigger is and go, okay, instead of getting mad, I'm going to be thoughtful or, you know, yeah. it, it, but it takes yeah. an active practice, I think is, is important yeah. thing to know. Yeah. That's right. Like the, the concept of engaging is so important here uh, because it is an active process. You have to decide this is something in which I am going to engage and I'm going to change. Um, I've called it, um, I've called it the country road theorem for years and that hasn't caught on yet. So maybe it'll catch on now. You gotta um, explain it, that one to me. It, it, yeah. It's not captain. It's not clicking. bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know if Salt Lake has a whole bunch of country roads, but, um, so Mountain road, it, snowy roads right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. If, if it snows an inch here, the thing, the whole, the whole area shuts down for months. So we're not, we're not ready for snow yet. Um, hurricanes we can handle snow. We cannot. Um, no, you can. Yeah. So, uh, it's all about knowing your limitations, right? Um, yeah. so the country road theorem is if you imagine like driving down, um, like a farm area or through the woods, um, and you look to, to the side and you're like, is that a path there? And you're like, I don't know if it's a path. Maybe it's a path. Maybe it's not a path. And then you and your buddy are like, you know what? Let's, let's check it out. And you go. And on the other side of it, say it's in the woods, on the other side of it, you find this great little swimming hole that you love. The water's just right. It's really cool. It's out of the way. It's perfect. And it's the greatest hangout spot along this love path. Yeah. And then the next time you uh, walk down here, you see your secret little path again and you take it again. And then you take it again. And then you take it again. And then you take it again. And over time, it changes from this secret path that barely even existed to like a big time path that now everybody can see because you've worn it out that way. Yeah. And so that's the country road theorem. It's saying that over time, if you do the same thing over and over again, it will go from a pathway that's barely visible, maybe barely even there to something that is strong and robust and able to handle even um, increasing level of challenges. And that comes like your example of saying, instead of responding in anger, I'm going to respond in thoughtfulness is just incredible. Like that's one of the most beautiful examples out there because uh, we might um, depending on individual personalities say this thing happened and now I'm really angry about it. And that's totally legit because it, it is probably, um, a situation that is, um, that feels like it is unjust, uh, or like a bunch of different, even if it warrants it, even the situation warrants it, you know, when you're pegged and redlined with that chronic yeah. stress, you know, your reaction is so much more. Right. Versus, yeah. you know, hey, you know, maybe it is a normal response. Someone slighted you. You know, it's a normal. Yeah, you can get upset. But, you know, when I'm pegged, I, you know, it goes all the way versus, yeah. eh, you know, letting things roll off, for example. Hey, someone yeah. cut you off. Well, whatever, you know, versus yeah. what I'm pegged, you know, I might react with a horn or a finger, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And so then the cool thing about neuroplasticity is you making the decision to engage in your mind and change your response from one of anger to one of thoughtfulness actually changes. So this isn't something that you do once and it changes forever. But as you do this over time, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And then instead of the angry guy giving everybody the finger at work, now you're the guy that people come to because they know this dude is a thinker. Like this dude will listen and will think about what we're talking about and then have most likely some sort of really 
cool, deep, powerful insight. And that is very neat. Uh, but that's a purposeful thing that you have to take upon yourself and then change. And it takes practice, practice, practice. And the good news is that neuroplasticity tells us that with practice, we become closer to that goal every single time. And that's kind of reassuring because it, it tells you like, okay, all these things are happening and I'm given some of these uh, like strategies for managing what's going on. Um, but like, does it work? Uh, and the answer is yeah. Yeah, it totally works, but it takes effort. It's not something exactly. that just happens on its own. Yeah. And time. But, you know, the cool thing is, is, is science has proven that we can fix our brain. Right. Right. Like that, that yeah. we can. You absolutely yeah. can. You just got to, you got to put in the work. <laughs> yeah. You got to work at it. Like your brain is just a thing. Like it's a giant prediction machine. That's all your brain is. It wants to know what's going on. Uh, so the entire purpose of our brain is like, hey, this is something that normally happens. And this is what we do in response to that. Um, and so your brain wants to predict and you can engage in that process and help it predict something. This isn't like a smoke and mirrors, like I'm fooling myself because that creates something called um, cognitive dissonance. And so your brain is being told something like by itself, and then it's experiencing a reality that's very different. And that distance between those two things is called cognitive dissonance. And we will not put up with that. Like we have to reconcile those two things. So you can't just happy talk your way through things. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about real, genuine, honest feedback. Um, and something like, instead of having this negative response, I'm going to work on having this positive response is something that your body can do. And it's something that your mind can understand and really get behind. And like you said, that takes time and that takes work. It takes effort, but it is very doable. And that's what's so cool is this is an actual change that we can really do. And I want to go back and maybe add to your country road theorem, <laughs> yeah. but you know, the way I picture it as well, you know, the first time that me and my buddies went by that and we went down this path, it was, it was probably more challenging. The first time going down yeah. that path to find that sinkhole was probably challenge, right? It, yeah. it was, there was a lot more resistance or effort that I had to put into that to get to that sinkhole. That first time I, I decided to go down that country road, but yeah. As I've worn down that road and, and created tracks and all sorts of, you know, now there's a pathway. So it, it becomes yeah. easier and easier. And I think that's an important, you know, point for our, our listeners and viewers is just thinking about this. Yes, it takes a lot of energy up front. Sometimes we just may not have that or feel like we have that energy. But I can tell you, if you dig deep down, you will find that energy and it does get easier and easier and easier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a perfect insight. That is, that is ab absolutely perfect. Right on the money. Well, I, I love everything about neuroplasticity <laughs> and you know, I, I think we should do its own episode because it's so fascinating to me. I think people just don't, yeah. it, it, you know, it's just, it, it's why I like microdosing. It's, you know, why I, ketamine therapy, you know, when I use some of these other resources and now understanding, you know, stress response, stress management, neuroplasticity, you know, it, it, it for someone like me, when, when I was really down, you know, and I, I felt like I, I shouldn't even be here on this planet anymore, having that understanding when I finally figured out and realized the science behind this and go, man, I, I, I can, I can get my, I can self rescue myself. 
Sometimes yeah. I need more support. Sometimes you need communal yeah. support. And I think you're going to get to that. But, you know, it, it was um, enlightening to say, okay, there, there is a way out. You know, why am I yeah. feeling so depressed? I, I I don't know. You know, why am I feeling so angry or caught up? Why am I feeling so stressed? I, sometimes I don't know. But if I keep working at it, you know, I know yeah. based on science, which I believe in um, as yeah. a medical clinician and a practitioner, uh, that I can, I can help myself. And not only can yeah. I help myself, you know, by doing programs like this, bringing wonderful people like you on, you know, hopefully we can help other people. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. Like, it's important. The part that you said about being honest, like you're being honest with yourself. It's again, we're not happy talking something like we're being honest about the struggle. And that is such an important first step. We're not dismissing things. We're not acting like everything's okay. Like you have to say, this is a thing. And it's this not is okay. a thing. I need. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> right. Because the other side of that is this is a thing and I can do something about it. Both of those are true and both of those are really important, but you have to start with like, this is a thing I need. I need to be honest about my emotions. I need to be honest about my situation and then we can figure out a way to, to work through it. Love it, man. Love it. Yeah. So, so then I guess that leads into the next part, which is this concept of, um, uh, modification. So we talked a little bit about modifying the actual neural structures in our brain, which is kind of trippy, but very much a reality. Um, and you can do that through individual strategies. And then there are also some group strategies. I think they're both important. Um, I think the individual strategies are significant for everybody. Uh, I think the group strategies are also important for everybody, but that might be most applicable to leaders like managers chiefs leads um they can take some of those supervisors and, people that have you know people yeah. under their their you know supervision or leadership yeah because that's not nothing that's not nothing like no, you have a responsibility there and it, it's kind of neat to see that you can make a positive impact if you do some of these so oh i love it then i'm yeah Okay, hey, let's go. Tell me, go. sell right. me, sell me the water. I, I want to buy the water, man. <laughs> the best water is the best. Um, salt water, ocean water, river water. Um, okay, so here we go. First up, this is the immediate one. Um, a lot of your guys, a lot of your fans probably know about this. So this may be like a shout out to the choir kind of thing, but this is something that you can do right now that impacts your performance, impacts your mindset, impacts. Uh, how you're able to cope with things immediately. And you can start doing it this moment right now. And it's breathing, just breathing. Um, there are a lot of different strategies. There are a lot of different names. Um, I'm going to talk about box breathing as an example, but it's not the only one. Um, I like it. I know. I use it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's the best. So, well, I said, I said it's the best. I think it's the best. Um, so if you imagine a box, so you have four sides um, and then you're talking about your breath cycle here. So you pick a number, um, something that's reasonable, like three. So if we do three seconds, okay. So what we're going to do is inhale for three seconds. That's one side of the box. And then we're going to hold it for three seconds. That's another side of the box. And then we're going to exhale for three seconds. And then we're going to hold that for three seconds. And then we have a box. So like if you'll just give me 12 seconds here ish, you inhale and you hold it and you exhale and you hold it. And that's it. That's 
one box breath. Dude, I, I just do one box breath and I can almost feel like it's shedding off of me. Yeah. You know, well, especially when but, I'm wired, you know, yeah. I, and that's what I need to do. I got to tell myself, hey, I got to go breathe. I got to, you yeah. know, set a timer in 30 minutes. You're going to go outside and you're going to just breathe. Yeah. And that, so I love starting with breathing because it's a reminder of our body that we have both voluntary and involuntary systems. And breathing is one of those weird things that is both. So a lot of the things are either one or the other, um, but breathing is a little reminder that we have some systems that cross over. So uh, we'll breathe all day, every day for our whole lives from the beginning until the end. Um, and we don't have to think about it. Um, but we can also think about it. So it is both voluntary and involuntary. And what this does from a stress modification standpoint is it takes our body's natural, involuntary, sympathetic response. And then we push a little reset button. We're like, hey, I know that my heart rate is 1 million and my blood pressure is also 1 million and my respiratory rate is 1 million. And then you're like, oh, that reminds me, I'm going to stop and I'm going to take a breath. And you do one box breath or two box breaths, whatever you need to do. Um, and it resets your sympathetic nervous system and uh, allows your body to take control back. So it, if you imagine like two people pulling in a, in a tug of war um, and mm -hmm. you have your involuntary and your voluntary uh, systems going on, um, this box breathing allows that voluntary system to grab hold and yank the other side into the ditch and win and win. Um, and so you say, I you go from this, win, right? Yeah, it's all about win. Uh, so you go from this completely out of control. Uh, I'm, I'm not managing well to even with something as simple as one breath. You're like, I got this. I'm back. Yeah. And so, uh, clinically something, you know, some people are like, I don't have time to breathe. Like, don't come at me with this. Like I, I have things to do. Yeah. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's crazy because if you do think about it, like I, I can choose to hold my breath and not breathe. Yeah. But as soon as I start breathing again, I start talking to you again. It just takes right back over. Yeah. And it, but it does show you that you do have power of control. You do have a reset button. You know, you need 12 seconds, 12 seconds. And I'll tell you, I, I challenge, yeah. we'll call it the 12 second challenge, John. We should put it out on social media. Yes. Hey, we want everybody to take a 12 second challenge. What's a 12 second challenge? I want you to record yourself doing, you know, three second box breathing. Yeah. You know, I love it. We'll, we'll, like we'll even us winner. talking. Like, like, I love this. And I like, you have a fantastic energy that I have always loved. Um, and like, I could feel my, my sympathetic response to this conversation going up and up and up and up and up. And then when we did our box breath, I'm like, all right, Same like, thing. Let's focus, like, let's cover the things that we need to focus. Let's bring it back. Let's get back. Yeah. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing, box breathing, um, or breathing more generally, in terms of modifying your response to a stressor, breathe. And that sounds obvious and it sounds simple and it sounds easy, but it is potentially none of those things, but it is very important and very powerful. So step one, breathe. And I like, I like the 12 second challenge. That's a good one. Oh, well, we're, we're doing it, man. 
we're doing it. We'll see if it gets traction, but we're totally doing it. So yeah. now when everybody like, well, we put it out and then the episode drops later, they're going to be like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I have no idea what this is. Oh, now I get it. Like you got to listen. You got to listen. <laughs> you got to stay engaged. Um, okay. Next up. So first up was breathe. Um, yeah. Next up, self-talk. <sighs> Self-talk. This is one that's hard for a lot of people because um, for a variety of reasons, we might have very negative self-talk. We need to change. I just like, found it weird when I first started doing it. And I was just like, yeah. uh, you know, because you're driving your car, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be in my head. No problem. Yeah. Like, anything oh, up yeah. there, it, it'll rattle around. And yeah, yeah sometimes I don't want to let any of that out. But <laughs> even if I'm just driving in the car and it's just me and I start talking – it feels weird for me. Yeah. I have no idea why. I don't know where that came from or you know <laughs> what, but it just feels awkward. But I, yeah. I, I had to practice it. Like my sponsor's like, no, dude, like you, you need to start doing this. And I'm like, and so yeah. I do, I make a habit, especially when I feel really stressed. It's yeah. it's crazy if you use these tools, and I'm so glad you're giving people practical tools that they can walk away right now off of this show while listening to do because I I, I can vouch for these. You know, they do. The, the box breathing, oh my gosh, makes a difference. But then, yeah, it, once again, we'll talk about the country road theorem. You know, it takes a little bit of energy. For me, it was just like, that looks like a really awkward, scary road. You know, maybe, you know, someone's yeah. going to, you know, ambush me down the road. I don't want to yeah. go down that road. You know, but then you like start going and you're like, okay, it's not so bad. And you're like, oh, okay, it's not so bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the, the self-talk that we, again, with that cognitive dissonance, like we have to be honest with ourselves. Okay. So we can't be like, I'm a good person and I love other people. If that's not true, like you have to be honest with yourself. And so. Can't bullshit um, a bullshitter. No. Yeah. So you've got, um, so let, like take an example, um, you're OB patient. Um, and so you're, you're the medic on call and you get called out to this OB patient and you were instantly anxious you're like i don't know anything and i don't like this and i don't have a whole lot of training with this and um like i think maybe i need uh, maybe i instead of going on this call i'm just going to spend the next like 30 minutes in the bathroom just losing my guts and then i'll be like sorry you better send somebody else like i'm unfit yeah, for duty I'm, right I'm, now. I'm, I'm, I'm sick I'm, I'm tapping out on this one yeah oh no I, I, that was like my first neonate flight when i was the you know finally yeah. got cleared and went through all the training but then you go on your first neonatal flight with the neonate nurse and I, dude i was like okay this is real now like i've dealt with them yeah. with the special care nursery but i i've never done you know nick you in the field and dude, sometimes we would do nine one i mean i remember doing a nine one one rendezvous nick you at the top of the the south in the grand canyon like that was scary oh, wow. mom yeah. delivered right there in the back of the ambulance and i'm wow. like okay now i got mom and i got baby oh yeah i got talk about stress. i was scared out of my mind i did i hooked all my my yeah. guts out but i think yeah. it was after the call yeah, right. Thankfully. Otherwise the flight suits get all stinky and you know, bad things. People don't like so, that. Um, so in those situations, the self-talk that you can tell if you feel overwhelmed, remember it has to be honest. It has to be accurate. It has to be authentic. So don't give yourself a line that you don't believe in yourself. So what is something that you can share with yourself? It sounds weird to say something that you can say to yourself that would be positive in this situation. And in the world of medicine, uh, in the world of firefighting, in the world of rescue, I imagine in the wider world as well, um, you can say things like, uh, I have been prepared for this. 
I have trained for this. Uh, I am ready for this. Um, so you don't have to claim that you're an expert um, because if you were an expert, you probably wouldn't feel as anxious as you do. So don't don't claim to be something that you're not. But um, you say, well, all I all I did, uh, I saw like a 30 minute online video and that was the extent of my training. Like this is ridiculous. Okay. If that. I, yeah, right. Like, okay, what did I do? Like I, I, I was a dedicated student. I watched the video. Like give yourself something to start with and be positive. Um, and then if you widen out the lens a little bit um, away from something that is super specific, like, like that particular patient interaction to just a more general thing, um, like uh, I'm a caring person. Um, I'm invested in this. Um, I, I love want my job. to be successful. I, I love my job. Yes. All of these things. So giving yourself some positive self-talk is a huge step, but it has to be accurate. Um, positive self-talk, by the way, can also um, include things like journaling. And that's maybe a, a different topic, but um, writing stuff down, whether it's computer or handwritten. It, I always thought that handwritten would be more powerful and maybe it is, but um, the research that's what I always hear. I've always wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Please tell me. I mean, we could definitely touch yeah. on this just real quick. I, I want to do a journaling episode with, you know, yeah. and give it its yeah. own love. But, you yeah. know, a lot of people say, hey, you got to do pen and paper. You got to do pen and paper. I mean, yeah. my sponsor said that and, and, and group, they would say that when I was going through and I got committed, like that's everybody says that. And I, yeah. I'm not a pen to paper guy. First, I can't really ever find a pen and usually yeah. it's dead, you know, unless I'm, unless it's on my flights, I always had my pen and I had a the nurse's pen. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you have two pen spots. Exactly. That's the yeah. one for you and one for your nurse. Um, yeah, but no, I always, I always struggled with that, but you know, Hey, you want me to text stuff down or like, I yeah. got to note that my phone is always right. with me yeah. and yeah, yeah and, and this is another question because sometimes I'll I'll type it out and sometimes mm -hmm. I'll just use the voice memo and just because it's self-talk. I'm talking to myself yeah. and I just kind of yeah. like word vomit on it. And I don't know what do, what do this what do the studies say? What the, what is the preferred method or does yeah. it matter as long as you're doing it? No, no it doesn't matter. The the process okay. is a cognitive process. So you're engaging your brain in in such a way. And there may be some benefit over hand versus text over computer. Um, but that depends more on the person and what they are most commonly using as their source of like transcription. So if you're a handwriting guy, then you should handwrite your journal entries. If you're a text guy, like on your phone or on your computer, then you can do that. The important part is to do it. That's, that's the most beneficial step. And then how you do it will depend on the, the individual. So if you're primarily a, a keyboard guy, then keyboard would be fine. Um, but the important part is, is to actually do it. And so that's, that journaling is kind that's of a separate I ask, I think some thing. people think that's a barrier, right? They're like, oh, I have to go get a journal and I have to go get a right. pen or just, you know, yeah. no, you don't have to do all this fancy stuff. Just get your phone out and just do, do it, it, you know, do yeah. it or, you know, voice my mouth, blah, you know, and then yeah. it's funny because I'll go back and listen to those sometime, you know, by myself, obviously, because <laughs> um, <laughs> like, otherwise I think people would really start to worry. Uh, but no, it, it just, I think just doing something, 
you know, and yeah. don't use, don't, don't let that be a barrier. Oh, I don't got a pen. I don't have a journal. I don't have a big piece of paper. Like don't use that as a barrier. You know, I would even encourage people like, Hey, if you can't write it down and you can't use a voice memo and you can't even text because your phone is dead, you know, just say it out loud. I, I will I will word vomit in my car driving home because yeah. guess what I don't a I feel better afterwards I, it's like it's cathartic you know but yeah. at the same time like I don't bring that stress and energy into my house when I walk in the door which is more right. important to me because my family has right. seen way too much of that shit so right. the more I'm able to kind of bring myself back together and let it just let it off of me you know and it just. Yep. Holy cow! You know, yeah, and you do that. that with box breathing and and now a little self talk. And dude, you're yep. you're cooking with gasoline. And guess what? That took there me zero go. money. I didn't even have to pay for a therapist. Yeah, <laughs> but you should still get a therapist. Absolutely, get a therapist if you don't yeah. have one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, third up, third. Uh, this one's going to be quick. Um, it is super big. It's super in depth, and we don't have the time for it today. This is just like a couple of strategies. So if if people are interested, okay. then they should look at it in more in depth, just like box breathing and just like self talk, mindfulness, mindfulness. Um, there is a whole lot of research on mindfulness based training, whether it's mindfulness based stress reduction or a series of others. Um, and this is incredibly powerful. And we've kind of alluded to this before in this episode. Um, and this is kind of where that it fits in just right. This is that puzzle piece. This is where it fits. Um, the first one there, there are a couple of components of mindfulness, but one of them is being aware of your emotions being aware of your stimulus and not necessarily reacting to it. That, that's the, that's the sh a very short, very simple, um, probably overly simplistic explanation of mindfulness. It is saying like, Hey, these things are going on. I have these stimuli coming at me and I see it and like, Hey, here's a, here's anger. And I see you anger. Um, and then here's impatience and I see you impatience and, and you accept each of these because these are all pieces of ourselves and they're not bad, um, but we can control what we do with them. Um, and so it is not the blunting of a response. It is not the ignoring of an emotion. It is recognizing that it is um, a part of us and then deciding what to do with it is the next step. So um, all of that, and that's kind of what we've been talking about. It's woven throughout all of this, uh, but mindfulness training is huge and something that I think we can all, we can all get behind as a very uh, effective method of modification. 100%. I mean, that's, I, I had to learn mindfulness through sobriety just to understand where my character flaws are and how I was reacting to yeah. people and my anger. Like, that's how I was able to do that. It wasn't the fact that, yeah. you know, it just thought came to me. I had to practice on that and basically go, oh, like you said, I see you anger. I see you coming at me. I know what's going to now right. happen if I decide to go down this path and play your game, buddy. But I don't want to play your game today, homie. But like, peace. Right. I'm out. Not today. You know, not today. That's not today, brother. Not today. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Um, all right. Last one. Last one. Uh, we'll just cap this at four. So uh, we've got breathing. We have self-talk. We have mindfulness. Um, the last thing is physical activity. Some sort of physical activity. What it is uh, doesn't really matter. Different for everybody. If uh, if you're a runner, go run. If you're a weightlifter, go lift weights. If you're a um, like a, a, a jujitsu kind of a person, do that. If you're a yoga person, a swimmer, a biker, like there are a thousand things to do. Do something. Do something physical. And that 
physical reaction, that physical stimulation will have some significant influences on the hormonal changes that we have in our body and on the endocrine changes that we have in our body. And that impacts our ability to uh, manage stress, especially in um, heightened situations. You probably know this because you're a brainiac. But <laughs> I was exposed to this during, with one of the books that I read and it made total sense, but they looked at all the major philosophers like Aristotle, every, all the big ones that we all follow. Bill Gates, you know, uh, all of them, they all walked and we can all walk physical therapy. I mean, 30 minutes, stuff like that. Like that's all you need. You just need a pair of shoes and, you know, technically you don't even need a pair of shoes. It might be a little uncomfortable, but yeah, you know, it just takes doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Walking counts a hundred percent. Um, this, this also plays into the preparation um, and like simulation is something that's, that's um, related, but a little bit distinct from this. Um, uh, an example that I've used in the past is Michael Jordan. Big fan of Michael Jordan. I live in North Carolina, so you have to be a Michael Jordan fan because, you know, he's the man. Um, but best basketball player on the planet, by the way, uh, and I'm sure that will be fodder for hate. Uh, from some of your people from other areas, but um, Michael Jordan, hands down a um, lot of other really talented people on the basketball court before him and after him, but Michael Jordan's the best. Um, so <laughs> as example, yeah, for sure. Um, go Tar Heels. Um, he, uh, a lot of people have tried to shoot free throws with their eyes closed. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan is the only one that's done it, at least to my knowledge. Um, and that is part of this mental practice. That's part of this um, physical activity and the connection of a physical activity with the mental game of whatever you're doing. So um, in his case, the mental game was was basketball, an actual game um, in a lot of your listeners place. Um, it's probably not a game. It's probably something much more intense than that, but it's still a connection between the physical and the mental. So you have this physical activity that you're doing. And then if you do it enough, it becomes a little more automatic. Um, And then it can get to the point where you can actually close your eyes and do the thing that you would normally do with your eyes. And that's that connection between um, physical activity. So not just the benefits of physical activity baseline, uh, but then the benefits of physical activity on performance when you're in heightened situations like Michael Jordan trash talking somebody saying that he can make a free throw with his eyes closed. And then he does. Um, and that's like a you really actually back thing. it up. Right. Yeah. But that comes again, like we talked about before with time and effort and purpose. Um, so there you go. So I, I would say in terms of stress management, individual strategies, the four, uh, my personal, my personal top four, uh, breathing, self-talk, mindfulness, and then physical activity. I love it. Yeah, that's my top four. I, I, and I'm going through it. I'm like, well, yeah, that's pretty much what I try to do every day. Like, that's part of, yeah. uh, you know, what you just listed is actually part of my mental, you know, kind of. It, it's my health and wellness routine. I just that's what I call it. I mean, I don't know what else yeah. to call it. You people say you put mental behind something, they get turned off. But really, like every day, I'm practicing. I try to practice a little bit of awareness. I try to practice box breathing. I try to, you know, self talk on my way home, and I try to work out. 
But by doing all four of those things, like I will tell you, and I try to do them all in the morning. Like that's my morning routine. Like get this done in the morning because then my whole day just opens up behind me. And as those challenges come in, whereas before, if I don't get my workout in or if I'm not doing this work, I can tell you, I I can feel the stress a little bit more. It's it's a little bit more heavy. But if I have done all four of those things in the morning, dude, I... I'm like a Roman. I'm like a Spartan. Bring it on, brother. Like I, yeah. okay, yeah. You, I got armor on, man. It's just dinging yeah. off of me. Like there later, bro. I'm good. Um, yeah. So like, there are a lot of others, right? Like I, I, this isn't an yeah. exhaustive list, but that's my top four. And and the the Spartan reference and the the armor. Like, um, I had a talk some time ago, and it's it's still my favorite title of all time. Um, and the title of the talk was "Fighting in the Shade." fighting in the shade. Um, and it was a reference to the, the concept of, you know, the battle of Thermopylae, right. And the, um, the Persians are coming in and the Spartans are bearing their way, barring their way with 300 fighters. Um, and I know this has been romanticized, but like, it's awesome. So just stick with it. Um, I mean, seriously, it's it's, like the, (laughs) yeah, just, just buy into it. So, uh, the, the idea was that, the Persians outnumber you so greatly Yeah, that when they shoot their arrows at you, the arrows will block out the sun. We'll be uh, a fight in the shade. Yes. Like Sweet what phenomenal response is that? Like you talk about mental framing and like changing your mindset. Like these people are almost guaranteed to be overrun. And he makes that comment in response to that. Like, my man was way ahead of his time. Like, then we will fight in the shade. Like, oh, I got. He just dropped that. Just, I was like a drop, drop sword later. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, no, that's awesome. All right. Yeah. Fighting in the shade. So, uh, so I guess that brings up like last bit, just real quick. Um, a couple of things for leaders and managers and supervisors who are out there. Um, uh, I will start with, uh, we mentioned mindset a couple of times. You guys, the leaders are the ones who are going to set the tone for the group. Um, and this can, as you mentioned before, come top down. It can come from bottom up too. So this is to everyone, but most applicable to, to that, um, that group. Um, first off, this sounds, however it sounds, uh, be kind, be kind. Um, in sounds a world, human. yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I have, this has been a saying that I, that I found myself repeating. Um, if you're a jerk and you're right, you're still a jerk. Uh, and if you're a jerk and you're wrong, then you're immeasurably worse. So be kind. Like I, I call this the house conundrum, um, where like smart people who are jerks have been glorified as like, oh, like we've all heard this description of people. They're like, oh, well, they, they're a really good doc or they're a really good nurse or they're a really good medic or they're a really good like fill in the blank. Um, but they're kind of hard to get along with or um, their bedside manner isn't all that great or whatever. And my response to that is then they're not like they cannot be a good medical provider and be a jerk. Those two are incompatible with one another. Um, so if you're in a position of leadership, then you have to be kind. You have to be, because if you're a jerk, you're sharing that this is how things get done. And, and, 
what you're doing is you're training everyone else to be little miniature jerks and nobody. And that's what you get. I mean, that's your output. That's what you're <laughs> going to develop a bunch of little jerks yeah. and they all get moved up into leadership positions because yeah. all the nice kind people are like, screw this. I'm out. Yeah. And they've left. Out. Yeah. No, I, cannot, I mean, I, cannot do <laughs> I, 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 I love it. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, it doesn't matter how you say it. Just be kind to people, people yeah. like whether you're in leadership or not, it's not hard to just be kind. Like I know that you might have the trigger of wanting to be a, a, a you know, a jerk, uh, you know, but don't <laughs> just yeah. be kind. Just realize everybody is yeah. at different places, but if you're kind, guess what? Everything that you do afterwards sets that precedence and yeah. that will, will change your organization immeasurably. You know, I don't know how to measure that, but you know, yeah. being kind, yeah. you, you hold on to people. Yeah, there's this um, uh, uh, this false narrative of intelligent, you know, somebody who's really good at their position and being unkind. And, and again, I think those are incompatible. Um, there's something called a wisdom paradox, and I've always loved the wisdom paradox because it explains like a lot of my self talk um, to myself. Uh, and Albert Einstein is one of the guys who who got on board with this, and he said um, this is like a paraphrase, but um, he said that the more I learn, the more I realize I still have to learn. Um, and anybody who's been on a journey of discovery, of learning, knows exactly what he's talking about. And so the idea of an arrogant person being in a position of leadership doesn't make any sense to me. Because if you've made it to that point, then I'm assuming that you are a driven individual who is seeking answers um, and the natural consequence of us seeking answers is one to find answers, but also two to have new questions revealed to us that we didn't even know about. And so there's this constant desire to learn. And among that is this appreciation for people who are coming in behind you uh, and an understanding that everyone's um, comprehension is incomplete and being unkind to someone accomplishes zero things. Uh, so just be kind. That's, that's step one for the leaders is to be kind. Yeah. Step, step two, step two. And, and I'll, I'll cut it at this with the understanding that any of the individual things can also be applied to group things. So, so go back and revisit those top four also applicable to groups. Um, step two is, is a little more specific to groups and it involves the establishment of trust. And people are like, oh, trust is an organic thing. You have to earn it. Um, and that's true. It's 100% true. Uh, you can also destroy it. And so there are three steps to developing trust, three necessary ingredients. Um, and the first is logic. Like when you are talking about something, um, you should have a logical answer, a logical train of thought. Um, this should be a reasonable conversation, and that includes a reasonable give and take amongst the group. Um, so if you have an idea and you present it as logical and somebody else has something that is equally or more logical, that has to be a give and take. So um, it has to be logical. Two, you have to show some level of empathy for your group. Um, your people have to know that you're there for them. Um, this is maybe because most of my experience has been in public service. Um, and so there's um, 
some level of emphasis of servant leadership in public service. And I think that's awesome. I'm, I'm all for servant leadership. Um, some people will counter and say, well, we're all here to do a job and I do my job and you do your job. And then we all go home. Um, and I like being driven by a purpose though and a mission. Right. Yeah. And showing a little bit of personal investment there, a little bit of empathy goes a really long way. So logic, empathy, and then the last one is authentic. You have to be authentic in the same way that you were um, honest with yourself and your self-talk. You have to be honest with others and you have to demonstrate that you are genuinely involved in the process. So you have to be logical, you have to be empathetic, and you have to be authentic or genuine with them. That's how you establish trust. And if you allow that to be seen by the group, then the group will come together in a more um, cohesive manner. So that's that's the team. That's the team stuff. Then it's easy. It sounds easy. Why don't <laughs> more people do this? <laughs> be kind. Right? Okay. I'm going to be logical. I'm going to think through this. I'm going to care for people. Yeah. And then I'm going to yeah. just be genuine. I'm going to be just, you know, what you see is what you get. Wizzy right. <laughs> yeah, For those of you out there in the tech world. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> uh, oh, well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. You know, it, this has been fun. Um, and it's yeah. super insightful, you know, when you're talking about stress and giving these people, I, I mean, I love the practicality of just, it's really easy to apply these principles that you've shared. It's not hard. It's not rocket science, people. It's definitely not neuroscience. You know, you don't need hey. a doctor in this. <laughs> hey. Yeah, trust me. I look. It's easy. But it's simpler than that. Yeah. So what's what's the importance of social support in all this? Yeah. Okay. So um, the a, a different part of my dissertation was on social support. And I looked at three different levels of social support. There was organizational support, there was supervisor support, and there was peer support. And those are all interpreted slightly differently. Um, the peer support would be the people with whom you immediately work. So your partner, um, your truck, your uh, base, like those people. Uh, supervisors are obviously your supervisors. Um, like the person to whom you immediately um, are held accountable. And then organizational support would be uh, your company, your service. Um, it kind of depends on um, what your professional role is, but it would be a larger group. Okay. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing is there was kind of a predictable relationship between, I was measuring burnout, um, me between burnout and organizational support. It was like a week link there. So the more organizational support you had, the less burnout you had. That makes sense. Um, no, the same I was giving that talk and, and I wholeheartedly agree. I've seen the stats on that. And actually, I think that was one of your best talks personally. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, this, the data on supervisors was similar. There's like a weak relationship there. So the more um, support you had from supervisors, the less burnout you experienced. That also makes sense. Um, what was confusing, and this is something that I could talk about for hours and hours and hours, so so not a conversation Save for, it for right the next now. episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but part do. Part do. Um, there was no statistical relationship in my research between peer support and burnout. And that blew my mind. That absolutely blew my mind. And that was overall. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And I predicted that to be the strongest predictor 
Um, like if you have a lot of peer support, then your burnout's going to be low. And if you have low peer support, then your burnout's going to be high. Um, that was what I thought I was going to find. And what I found That's was, I would think that. yeah. So, um, I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like you talk to anybody, anybody out there and they will say like, you'll hear some degree of, um, I'm still here because of my partner. Um, like the, the people that I work with yeah. are the reason that I can put up with whatever other struggles, the politics you or whatever, yeah. 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 yeah, whatever it's, else is going on in the, yeah. in the department. Yep. It's the people that you work shoulder to shoulder with. The other side of that coin is, um, if you have a partner that isn't great. And so as I dug into the data a little bit more, I found that, um, it was very polarizing. Um, and then I was like, okay, this, this kind of makes sense. Um, if you have, uh, a partner or a peer group that are very supportive, then burnout was very low. But if you had a partner or peer group that was not very supportive, then your burnout was very high. And so those things actually made sense. But when you take like information from a large group of people, what ends up happening or what happened, at least in my study, was everything kind of um, negated the other thing out. And so what I what I ended up with was a nothing burger like I had I had nothing there Um, and. Because uh, you know, equal force is being applied on both sides, right? Yeah. So you're basically yeah. canceling each other out. Yeah. And so you have the really good partners that are doing really good things, and that's true. And then you mm-hmm. have the not-so-good partners doing the not-so-good things, and that's also true. And what you're left with, in term, like from a data perspective, is nothing. And so, uh, you know, if for for people who read research, you all know that there's this little thing at the end of most articles that said more research is needed in – like this particular area. Um, and that's the particular area that I need to do more research is um, the specifics of peer supports. Um, and I think that would be really cool to look into um, and to yeah. unpack. Oh, I, it was funny because I was literally just doing a, an episode with Dan Cohen not more than three hours ago about peer support and really kind yeah. of, you know, because that's kind of the new thing. A lot of agencies are really starting to latch on to peer support and, yeah. and they're going that direction. And so yeah. I would love to see, you know, and that's the problem when you guys talk about mental health, you know, and it, it takes people like Dr. You know, Von Ron here to do that research because there's just not a lot of it out there. Not a lot of people are doing about this. And and it's really cool because man, you grew up in this, you grew up in public safety, just like I did. I mean, I started as a lifeguard as, you know, I think it was 13 or 14 as a junior lifeguard, you know, (laughs) you know, we grew up in this. And so to see you now move on into the doctorate level and now apply it back into our, our professions and our industry and first responders, like, that's what we need more of. Though I was just talking to Dan because Dan made an empathetic plea like, hey, we need more first responders, people that do the job, have done the job to now move on into counseling roles and things like that because yeah. we don't have enough of them. And if yeah. it wasn't for people like you, and I think it's important to give you a shout out, man. Like you're doing the work that we all so desperately need because why are we doing SISM? Why are we doing peer support if there's no data behind it to show what does it do? You know, we think it does good and that's great because sometimes that does lead us to, yeah, it does. You know, yeah, we think it does good. Yeah, it does good versus, yeah, it does good. And then later we find out it does harm. Let's stop doing it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's the difference between um, anecdotal data and um, like actual data. And it's important to like be willing to ask those questions and then hear the answers. And so if we do something, we're like, oh, this thing that seemed super awesome, turns out it's hot garbage, um, then we should stop it. Uh, and I, I think that's really insightful on your part. The, the other the other thing to consider there is that there are a lot of like broad strokes that we can make. Um, but it's important to also remember that there are individuals. So everybody is going to react a little bit differently. And so we might make um, generalities and say this, this works, this seems to work, the data supports this. Um, but especially in the world of EMS, like we're a world of outliers. We're all little renegades. And so it's quite possible that like this thing works for everybody, but, but this for guy this over here does. Yeah. 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 So be, be no, okay. I, I agree. I, and, and that's why I think EAP programs for the general public do not work for first responders. They're yeah. completely different. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> totally accurate. <laughs> Love it, man. Um, any key points or anything you want to, you want to hit before we wrap up um, on today's show? I mean, what are, th- what are three things out of all the stuff that all the amazing stuff and, and just brilliant stuff that have come out of your mouth. And, and just like you, I love your energy, man. Like that's, that's why I think we just love you put both of us in a room and give a mic in front of us. We'll just talk, you know, okay. and, and yeah. that's cool. I love that. We're able to talk like this and have a candid discussion. And, and there's going to be people that really open up to this because it's important stuff. And, and it, you know, we're kind of putting the sexy spin on it. Hopefully. I don't know. Obviously. We'll let the viewers or listeners, uh, you know, they, they can leave some comments and some reviews and hopefully uh, let us know. But what are some three, what, out of everything we've talked about, what are three things that you want these people to walk away with? That you, John, Dr. Von Rosenberg, you know, hey, if you walk away with these three things, this is what I want you to walk away out of this whole hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot there. Like, there's a lot there. So um, let me let me come up with three. Um uh, the first thing is like our brains are incredible, like absolutely incredible. Um, and they can change, but it takes purpose. It takes time. So if, uh, you feel like your brain isn't doing the things that your brain should do, um, whether it's emotional or mental or physical or whatever, um, you can change like neuroplasticity is a thing and it takes time. It takes effort, but number one, you can change, you can change your brain. And that's pretty powerful. Um, number two, there are um, things that you as an individual can do to help change, to help um, guide that neuroplastic process. Um, and we went over some of those examples and I'm, I was only given three things, so uh, I can't get into those. But there are things that you as an individual can do, like breathe. And then three, um, there are things that you can do to help others. So whether you are in a position of leadership or not, uh, an official position of leadership, and we all, we all have our opinions about titles and, and things like that, but you can do things to help others. And among those many, many options, one of the most powerful is be kind, be kind. So there, there you go. One, you can change Two, remember to breathe and three, be kind. Be kind. 
There you go. I love it. You guys heard it from Dr. John Von Rosenberg. As we wrap up another enlightening episode of Critical Conversations by Mind the Frontline, we want to extend a valuable, heartfelt gratitude. Man, I really appreciate you coming on the show, this sharing your awesome. insights. I, I'm looking forward to the next episode already because, yeah. uh, man, I just there's so much energy and so much to unpack here. I can't wait to listen to this and, and, and really kind of take some notes away from our conversation. But Dude, the depth of your knowledge really does truly enhance our mission of promoting first responder health and wellness. And it starts with us. You know, nobody's coming from us. Nobody's going to come save us. We have got to save ourselves. So I really appreciate of all the work that you've done because you're giving back to the public safety and the first responder community with all you're doing. So together, let's continue these conversations and build a stronger, more resilient first responder family. Thank you for being a part of the Critical Conversations podcast by Mind the Frontline. Until next time, take care, stay strong, and mind the frontline. To our dedicated listeners, thank you again for joining us on this critical journey. Remember, the Critical Conversations podcast is a steadfast resource for police, fire, EMS, allied healthcare workers, dispatchers, air medical, and military personnel, along with their families. Your support makes the impact of these conversations resonate even further. If you found today's discussion enlightening and want to stay connected with our ongoing mission, please be sure to subscribe to the Critical Conversations podcast. You can find us via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and the Mind the Frontline website. Your subscription ensures that you will never miss an episode, and it's a powerful way to show your commitment to fostering resilience within the entire first responder community. For more information and additional resources, visit our website at www.mindthefrontline.org. Together, let's continue these critical conversations and build a stronger, more resilient first responder family. We thank you for being a part of the Critical Conversations podcast. Until next time, take care, stay strong, and mind the front line.